Yo, this is your boy Galileo. Welcome to the podcast. This is Common Conversations, and I think I did that backwards this time. I can never do it the same way twice, and I guess that's the gift of not scripting what I do. But I want to welcome you. This is the move forward, the ah, new hope, and you know who I got to the right, left of me. Hey, friends, this is Missy. What it do? Missy, what you been up to? Uh, living. What have you been up to? You know, eating pie. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Drink, drinking coffee and staying alive. I know, right? Because diabeticals can't have pie. They took all the goodness out of eating. Um, but that's what happens when they feed you poison, right? So poison good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yo, welcome back. So we got a new podcast today. We do. Right? We're going to have a little bit of fun. Uh, we're going to try to. We have a really deep conversation about child abuse, child abuse prevention yes. on this whole equity journey, this thing that we're on. Want to talk about the spaces um, and the systems that we exist in, yes, and whether they're good for us or they're poison, and how we cure that poison. Oh, we're going to talk about curing poison today. We are. So if you get enough of it, you become immune, right? I mean, that's what I've been told. But what if we lived in a world where we just weren't poisoning our people? Oh, I like that. So that's that we talked about Nirvana. I think it went. Right. I don't know if we were on on mic or off mic. I never know. You know, right? It's because the mic is always here, but we're not always holding the record button down. Uh, <laughs> but we got a really cool guest. She's old as dirt. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> she happens to be a friend, so I, I get to I get to kind of pick. She's not old as dirt. She's, she's beautiful. Yes. She's smart. And again, this is a podcast where I say what I want, unfiltered. But today I have to actually be a extra behave uh, because <laughs> we've got Sonya. What a J. Yes. Gray. Yes, with an E. With an E. Sonya. Sonya with a J. <laughs> Sonya with, with an E. Gray with the E. Like you gotta, you just gotta play with her name, right? And she is the ED. I hate the word ED, by the way. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. she's a what? She, yeah, she is the ED. <laughs> so you know, hopefully her chair board chair will help um, change that name. But she is the executive director director for Echo. See, we're having fun already. This you have to laugh before you we do. get into the meat of these these equity conversations about where we are. In our, in our spaces. But that is Sonia Gray with Echo. Um, thank you for being here. Missy, are you ready? Are we, are we ready am, to do this thing? I am so ready to talk to Sonia. Yeah. Who is young and beautiful. Young and beautiful. <laughs> yes. And see, what y'all don't know, those of y'all listening, like Sonia and, and Missy has had a conversation for almost about an hour now. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm lying a little bit. And I was like, yo, when are we going to start the show? And I'm just like, are we just, but so here we are, right? So now I'm just going to, I'm going to shut up, sit in my chair and listen um, and then be the protagonist later. Is that is that cool? Can we do that? Sure. The protagonist, the antagonist, you know, whichever. Whichever one? Yeah, whichever I'm, you feel like. I'm going to be antagonist today. There you go. I believe you. Right, because you didn't believe me being a protagonist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else did either. <laughs> You like the Vader, I'm just saying. I absolutely do. Like, you know, let's let's get it. He was the most powerful Jedi Sith ever. Oh, oh I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And sometimes you got to be the bad guy. Well, we're going to talk about good guys today. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> yes, Sonia. So, welcome. Thank you. So, tell us, Miguel told us that you are the executive director at Echo. Tell us about Echo. Yes, and not the ED, okay? Not the ED. Yeah, you don't yeah, have that. Yeah, in I don't have that, okay? <laughs> I just want to be really clear with everybody. Yes, yeah, so that really stands for executive director for Echo Exploited Children's Help Organization. And we are located in Metro Louisville. We've been around since 1983. Um, and actually, we evolved due to a tragic incident that happened to a little girl who, you know, just like many young little girls, want 
want to get on their bike, ride, and go visit their friend. And she was over by Bashford Manor Mall um, off of Breckenridge in Louisville. And unfortunately, she never returned home. And her name was Annie Gottlieb. And they never found any remains. Um, they never really convicted anyone, you know, of that missing case. And as of 2015, the Missing Center for uh, um, Exploited Children actually put a resolution to her death in 2015. Um, but that is how we evolved as an organization. And our mission is to prevent and reduce the incident and impact of child abuse by providing education, advocacy, and support services to the children and families of Metro Louisville. So I know you're going to ask me like, well, what does all that mean, uh, right? Yeah, I, know, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. You know, for every nonprofit, we have mission statements. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I always like to break down what our mission statement really means to the community as a whole. So if you can imagine um, between, you know, Southern Indiana and Louisville, there are a plethora of nonprofits, yes, um, yes. well over 3,000 nonprofits. And I always bring that up because we have a pretty unique niche in what we do. We are one of the only nonprofits in Louisville that partners with public and private schools. And we go into the classroom and we educate and empower the kids about body safety and internet safety. And then the second layer is that we find that because it is the adult's responsibility to keep kids safe, that we offer adult trainings and education as well. So adults have the ability to be able to recognize, react, and report child abuse. So that is what we do as a whole. We are in that lane of education and training. Thank you so much for that incredibly important work. Thank incredibly. you. I can't imagine how many children you are keeping safe every single day that you are out in the community. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So here we like to talk about stories. Yes. And we like to talk about the stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. um, to sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. What are the stories that we tell ourselves and each other about child abuse and about what child abuse looks like? Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you said that. I think that for many that are not in this field, we do have what I would say this poster image of what an abused child looks like or what a predator looks like. And we really need to break those images out of our minds. Because what we know is that abuse, it crosses all economic levels, education levels. Doesn't care if you live on the west side of town or the east side of town. If you're in a home that, you know, you're living in a, you know, $200,000 house, or if you're, you know, living with public assistance, there's not a look of what child abuse looks like. And I think that is one of the biggest things that we really need to talk about. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we have this misconception that children that are abused come from provished areas, and that is just not necessarily true. Abuse and how they define child abuse is an adult that is basically exerting power over a child. Um, So it doesn't say that that adult is a rich person or a poor person, or it doesn't say that it's just a man. Um, So I think the major thing that we really, really need to break down are those images when we're thinking about child abuse and also the thought that it can't happen here Mm, mm -hmm. or it doesn't happen here Mm -hmm. or it only happens in this one area. Um, It happens everywhere. And, you know, the really sad part about it is, is that children that are abused, it can take them anywhere from one to three years before they disclose that information. Every time you turn on the news, you 
see a child that um, has used their courage to come forward and really speak out against an adult that has compromised their safety and their health. And many times, it's not that person, you know, that that white man that was in the van or anything mm-hmm, of that nature. Right. Usually, it's an adult that tends to be established. It can be an adult that has some type of interaction with kids already. So I think the the major thing is breaking down what that image of an abused child looks like. Thank you for that so much. So let's talk a little bit. Let's break that down even a little more. One of the things that we did talk about, like Miguel mentioned off mic, was that poverty does not equal abuse. Can we speak more about that? And what leads people to that, to tell that story about abuse? I think when you think about poverty, once again, you have these images of what provish people look like or how they may function or their mentalities, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we really, once again, we really need to break those biases down. Being in poverty does not equal that you're going to abuse your children. Poverty just means that you do not have, your, there's lack of resources, right? Um, so one of the questions that I ask in my adult trainings is, you know, if there is a family with children and they don't have beds, is that considered abuse? And I can see the adults' minds kind of, you know, swirling around and thinking. And and it's unfortunate, but most of them will say, over 50% will say, yes, I think that's abusive. And then I come in and I'm like, why why do you think that's abusive? And they'll say, well, you know, every kid should have a bed. And I said, well, but what if you're from a different culture? What if you're unable to afford a bed? Just because a child may not have a bed and may have to sleep on the floor or may have to sleep on the couch. Because remember, I didn't say they if they're not sleeping in a bed that they couldn't sleep somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I just said if they're not sleeping in a bed. It just does not equal abuse because that family still could be caring very well for that child and making sure that the child has all the essential needs, you know, based under law, based as a parent, making sure that they're clothed and fed and going to school. But if we start looking at particular things like beds, that really kind of breaks into what your cultural, kind of like your own cultural upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, the more that we can talk about breaking down biases and really being open to other versions or other interpretations um, will really get us to a more clear thought and decision whether this child is abused or not abused. So let's talk about then what it looks like if someone looks at a family and imposes their own values on that family and says, you know what, they don't have a bed, they don't match what I think a family should look like, so I'm going to call and call the hotline on them. Can we talk about the outcome and the the impact on that family? Yeah. <laughs> First off, I think that the key part of that before calling, and if you're specifically using the example of a bed, mm-hmm. That's lack of education. That's where we come in. Mm -hmm. Um, We come in and we really help you understand what are the types of of abuse? um, What are some of the incidences? And then, you know, how to report. Um, So I would say before making that report, and specifically with a bed, just ask your neighbor, you know, what what can I help you with? How can I support you? Mm -hmm. And remember, once again, 
cultural differences. Some kids don't even like sleeping in beds. You know, let's let's just throw it out there. They mm-hmm. like sleeping on the floor, sleeping in their you know sleeping bag or things of that nature. So I think we need to be have empathy for each other and just really ask you know thy neighbor, um, what can I do to support you? But if that individual happens to make that report, first off, you make a what we call a good faith report. Um, I know Kentucky is a mandatory reporting state, so if you see something, you are to do something. But if you make the report and you're saying, you know, I noticed, went to my neighbor's house and this kid didn't have a bed and I'm going to report that. Well, remember there's different criteria that has to um, meet. You got to check certain boxes, you know, before you can launch an investigation. And to be quite frank, something like that of not having a bed, that probably just wouldn't make the mark of sending a CPS worker and launching an investigation and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Because once again, cultural differences, you know, different biases can come into play. Mm-hmm. So, Sonia, yeah. while you're on that thought, yeah. we're talking about a bed. Yeah. I'm going to clear my throat before I say something crazy. Can you address, like, there at minimum, above and beyond a bed or not having mm-hmm. a bed, so for people who are clearly stupid, they can get a clear respect of what is child abuse? Like, what are four different, are there are there different levels? Are there different types? Yeah. Yeah, there are four different types. And as I was mentioning to Missy, um, this example that we're using is kind of an extreme example, but it's something that once again, if you're looking at just an item, right? And you're like, oh, they don't have a bed. They don't have this. And then they have to be abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first layer is really educating yourself about the four different types of abuse. And there are four different types. The one that most people are um, recognized and is easily seen is the physical. So our general population knows when we say child abuse, then usually they relate it to some type of physical action that has happened. You know, someone's been hit or, um, you know, uh, I just got a call yesterday actually about two little kids that walked in a um, youth serving center and the kid said that the mom hit them over the head with a bottle. You know, so those types of things, those are physical. But, you know, we need to think about the psychological, belittling a child or discouraging a child or constant yelling, um, neglect. Neglect is a huge one. Not providing a safe space, once again, doesn't mean that you have to have all the necessities of what Miguel may have at his home, mm-hmm. but if it's still a roof over the, you know, over their heads and they have a safe space and there's not any rodents or anything of that nature, then that's a safe space. Neglect can also be if uh, a parent is not sending a kid, you know, to school. By law, kids are supposed to go to school. If a kid is on medication, and the parent is not administrating the medication. That is what we call medical neglect. Um, So I think back to your point, there are four different types of abuse, which is physical is the one that we can see. The psychological is really what I would say talking to the community, messing with people's minds, um, making them feel like they're worthless, like they have no worth, um, down talking. Um, also, the neglect, not providing certain necessities by law um, to our children as well. And then the verbal, the constant yelling. Now, I always talk about, let me be clear, discipline, I promote 
abuse, I do not. So there's a difference to me when a parent is what I would say, accelerating their voice to a higher tone. I get that. But when I'm saying yelling, it's that form of communication that everything that they say is in a form of a yell. And it's it can send triggers in bodies. With a yelling, it's the belittling, the cussing out, the, you know, all those types of things. And what I would really kind of wrap a bow around all of that is anything that is compromising the the safety of that child. If that child doesn't feel safe, whether how you talk to them or how you are physically engaging with them. Thank you. So I also, I've heard these things where we, we and we've had some of these conversations when we're talking about intent versus uh, unintent, right? Unintentional engagement. Can, can child abuse come in both? I, I mean, I hear some people say, no, you know, child abuse is only when, you know, an adult is intentionally harming the child, right? But can it also happen unintentionally? You know, once again, so many scenarios, there's not one thing that you can pinpoint. So let me give you an example of an unintentional. Um, So let's say soccer mom, okay, has kids fully engaged for whatever reason she hurts her back. And now she has to have, you know, some type of medication for her back, opioids or something to that nature. Not that she intentionally decided to get hooked on drugs, but there may be a potential that she could. And if that potential happens, then there could be a potential that she doesn't pay as much attention to her kids as she did before. She may not provide them with the same necessities that they needed before. Therefore, it will go in, it can slide into that category of neglect. So that would be an unintentional, I didn't intend to get hooked on drugs because I had a back problem or whatever, but I did. Because of that, these are the other things that I kind of let go of my responsibilities. And a lot of times um, it will be the kids. And we saw that pre-COVID, you know, before COVID, it was the opioid crisis. And we had a lot of adults that had never had drug problems that all of a sudden they're finding themselves, you know, hooked on drugs. And so that unfortunately also affects the children that are in the household. And so if every night you was having meals and now the kids are wondering, when am I going to get my next meal? Then that is what I would say unintentional, but it is still abuse. Wow. So Go ahead, jump in. It also makes me think about, because you you mentioned unintentional. It makes me think about the families that I know that we work with who are doing their best. And one of the things that we say in our office is we know no parent has a child and says, I intend to mess this up. Um, But we only have the template with which we were raised sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if you have a family... Uh, that where you experience like discipline felt like a lot of yelling yes. and a lot of what you were yes. labeling under psychological abuse, that parent isn't really intending to harm their child. Yes. It's what they have. It's the tool they have. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, along with that, that's why it's really crucial for parenting classes, not to tell you how to raise your kids, but based on best practices and models. You know, so once again, everybody in the household can remain safe. But I love that. You're you're exactly right on that. Most parents are not saying, you know, I want to mess up my child. But, you know, we have other outside factors as adults that we have to deal with, other stressors that can also perpetuate unintentional abuse. So COVID, let's talk about COVID when we had many parents that were losing jobs, kids out of school, you know, if I'm not making income, then how am I going to be able to pay my bills and my expenses? And so from that, there may have been some behaviors that came out of that, out 
of that situation because the adult is in high stress. And then once again, it flows over into that environment where the kids are. Not that it's intentional, but throughout the process and at the end result, it still may be considered abuse if you're not providing the necessities for that child. I love that you, you you said outside sources. So one of the things that we're talking about on this podcast and the journey is the systems that we live in. And you identified the fact that COVID had or possibly created, you know, areas of unintentional neglect, right? Unintentional abuse to our children. But we, you also brought up the opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that in this wave, right, of drug abuse came from our hospitals and our medical. And so in, in some capacity, I'm, a, I'm just going to connect some dots. You tell me if I'm right or wrong in this conversation. So here we have the medical professionals who have created opportunity and availability for child abuse that happened within our home. So this is the prof- professional world skewing in. And then, Missy, you said something earlier as it relates to Indiana. It is illegal to teach sex education in Indiana. And one out of every four four girls is sexually assaulted before they get into middle school. One out of every six boys before they get into medical medical school. Uh, middle, uh, school. middle school. Yeah. <laughs> um, medical middle. Right. There it is. Um, and then and then on top of that, which is interesting because this is that intentional, unintentional, one out of every five children are sexually solicited, which in a lot of times I realize people don't talk about solicitation as being sexual assault. And so the system that we live in seems to breathe, promote, child abuse when when dealing with parents and i know this is a long term thing right so if we if 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 the parents if you're a parent and you live in an unsafe environment well you you're almost leading to an unsafe area for children is that is that correct so if you're a teacher if you're a cop if you're a doctor right so this is that whole thing that it it has no barrier Mm-hmm, and you're mm-hmm, in a space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You're in a system, right? That is causing pain, causing anguish, this non non What is it? That's peace face? No, I can't speak anymore. Nirvana, yeah. Yes, You don't have yes. that Nirvana space. You know what I mean? We're, we're in a sense in a system of, of child abuse. And so I, I ask this because you're in child abuse prevention, mm-hmm. which I think is super important. How much funding is there to prevent <laughs> child abuse? Like who's out here in the world screaming, you know, there needs to be, you know, Governor Holcomb needs to set aside $100 million in the state of Indiana where there's apparently a rampant uh, sexual assault against children, right? So in Indiana... I can speak to prevention dollars. So there is a portion of intervention money from um, DCS and from TANF funds that move towards prevention. And that typically goes to programs um, under Healthy Families umbrella and also the Community Partners umbrella. And so Healthy Families enters homes either during the prenatal period or early in a child's life, like before the baby turns 90 days old, completely free and voluntary to the family. But it's home visitation that allows you to... Again, if that if you were given a template that you're like, oh, that doesn't feel right, then you have someone there to give you. Here's the what the research says. Let me model with you. Let me let's play with this baby. Let's do developmental screening, and I'm going to walk beside you as this child grows from the ages of three to five. Now, what I will say is this: the amount 
of families, the number of families who need those per, those services does not equal the no, the amount of funding that we receive to do that. So really this kind of program could benefit everyone. And we are very limited in our funding in each community on how many families we're able to serve. But we also know for every dollar that you pour into prevention, you save four on the intervention side. Thank you, Missy. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say on, on you know, the... Kentucky side, Louisville, Metro Louisville, um, some of the key hitters that are really focused on prevention are um, COSER Charities and Face It, which we do receive some funding for that. And I don't think that um, they would mind me saying, because I've said it in many spaces before, our legislative individuals need to really invest more dollars in prevention. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if you really want to see an impact in your community and things, social change, you have to make the investment. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I talk about this, you know, Miguel, I t- you know, I talk about this in our board meetings. When you make an investment, you can't assume that you're going to have an immediate return on that investment. But what we do know, just like Missy said, for every dollar that goes into prevention, we're saving $4 on the other end. So if you really think about, and I'm not saying take money away from treatment or therapeutic, anything of that nature, because we do need need that. But if we really look at the amount of dollars that we spend in post-services and prevention, it's not an equal type of thing. And what I believe is that if we do invest a little bit more in the upfront, then what the economy, we're not going to spend as much with our economy. I think I've read something that's like $250 million, you know, that we're spending just to talk about abuse. Because remember that kids that are abused have experienced trauma. If that trauma is not addressed, then they grow up with that trauma and it can play out in in other ways and other mm-hmm. behaviors. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, um, high sexual interaction. It can be drugs. It can be violence. It can be these other things. And so while we having these things that are happening in our community, specifically in Louisville with the high violence, I talk a lot about, are we getting down to the root of the problem? Yes. I think that it's wonderful to put money towards gun violence prevention and suicide prevention. But I always ask, are we getting down to the core of what the problem really is? And a lot of times it's going to be that kids' safety has been compromised. And this is other ways that they engage, whether they're looking for love or they're getting away from the abuse or whatever that may be. But what it costs us economic-wise is is tremendous. And so if our lawmakers really, once again, take the biases out of it doesn't happen here, I don't know anyone that it has happened to, but really having more of an empathetic heart and an open heart that we are all living in this community together. So what affects one is going to affect everybody. Um, It may not be a direct effect, but it's going to affect you some kind of way. So if we could really focus on, you know what, I think the first thing that we really need to do is make sure that our kids are safe. And the way that we can do that is making sure that we have X amount of dollars that is going to be sufficient and efficient for organizations um, like ours to be able to truly operate. We 
I know we could show the impact and the difference that we can make. Um, So, uh, you know, for me, you know, as right now in Kentucky, we do not have a law that states that we teach, you know, child abuse prevention education. And I am talking to a couple of legislative individuals and in spaces that I that I'm in and I'm, I'm always promoting that we promote so many other things. And I don't know why that when it comes to child abuse, that is such a taboo type of conversation. But we can talk about suicide. We can talk about gun violence. We can talk about those other things, but we're not talking about child abuse. So, ma'am, just real quick. So we, so we really need to get into talking about. And, and if I'm understanding, if we want healthy adults, we got to make sure we raise healthy children. Absolutely. Yes. And that of means course. the system Absolutely. needs to get behind the flaws, right? So how? And, and, and Missy, jump in here. But how often do you have the opportunity to go into the hospitals to talk about how they care for children? Because you know, and and the adult. How often do we get to go into the education? education system and, and and teach them preventative maintenance, right? Um, and how often do we get to go into the police station, our sheriff's departments? Um, because what I'm hearing is is trauma. I'm hearing sexual assault. And these are things that are coming from adults, right? So it's not just the parents. So I know a lot of times we talk about child abuse and we're thinking mom and dad. But the reality of it is, is that that predator or that person who may cause pain, intentional or unintentional, is the adult in the community. They're leaders. They're elected officials. So sometimes we have laws that actually protect the predator. And we, we need to avoid that too. But I'm again, back to my question, how often do we you, do you get to go into those, those community leadership spaces and educate? I will say for ECHO, it's not something where those institutions are calling us. A lot of times it is a touch and go basis. It's not anything that is really on a consistent basis where we can have continuous education, you know, from professional to professional. We are set up a little different because we don't have kids that enroll with us and we do training. So we really may only have one to two times to really touch an individual and hopefully to enlighten them about child abuse and more importantly, how to combat it. So we have done trainings with some new recruits for the police station, but it would have been nice, you know, to say, you know what, we want to put you all on a contract for the next five years that every new recruit that comes in knows how to recognize what child abuse is and not only recognize it, but how to react and also how to report it. With our schools, in um, Louisville, it's a touch and go basis. It's based on what I would say um, relationships. So it's nothing where I have went to the head of JCPS and they're like, yes, we want to get behind you and we want this program in every school, which one day, you know, that's my big dream. But even if that was to be said, we still need the dollars to do the work. So if you don't have the dollars and you don't have the staff, to run the program, then it's still a broken system. And one of the things that we talked about was as a parent of children in Southern Indiana, I was asking teachers every year, when are we going to talk about body safety? When is my child, you know, out just outside of my home, but by a, tr- by a safe adult, when are they going to tell my child about keeping their body safe, about consent? And there just wasn't a program for that. And so a program like ECHO in Southern Indiana would be incredible. Yes. And we would love to be in Southern Indiana. So we, we need more programming. And well, we need more money first. Uh-huh, okay. So more uh-huh, money. Yeah. So we need the police department, the sheriff's department, our prosecutors, department. Department, our judges, um, our mayor, city council. Then this needs to be a line item. Absolutely. Childhood prevention, child abuse prevention yes. mm-hmm. needs to be a line item, yes. right? So let's talk about, and one of the things that we're ta- talking about economic impact. A child in foster care can cost as much of a, as a million dollars. Mm-hmm. One million dollars 
for a child, depending on how long that that child sits in foster care, and they can languish in foster care for a very long time, millions and millions of dollars poured into this system. We, if that is what needs to speak to the to the lawmakers, if you want to balance this budget, this is how you're going to do it. And like you said, the ultimate impact, the trauma, that's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And, and like I said, once again, you may not think that it directly affects you, but look at what's happening in your community. And if you speak with those individuals and, and once again, not having preconceived thoughts about what trauma they experience, but asking them many times it will go back to their childhood, which I know that you all talk about ACEs, mm-hmm. you know, the things Ooh, yes. that impact us as children can also have an impact on us as we're growing up to be adults as well. So as I mentioned before, if we do not, first off, educate our community about how we all can be safe because our kids are going to grow up and be adults in our community, we have to do that first. But then secondly, also addressing the trauma that has already been had, because if you do not address the trauma, then it plays out in other ways in your community, the violence, the, you know, all those other types of things. And so, you know, I, I'm like, I could never be a politician because they would never really like me because I'd be like, this is simple. Like, let's do this. Let's do that, you know. But, you know, for me, once again, based on research, we this is not Missy and I saying this is what we think. This is things that we have researched. We have data on how you can make your community a lot safer. And we talk about a lot of things. But the thing that we don't talk about is the child abuse and how the abuse really affects um, that young person that is growing up and trying to make decisions. The other thing that I will always want to bring up too about abuse and when we're talking about children is understanding that the brain doesn't fully form until 26, 25, 26. So when you interrupt the natural process of the brain developing um, because of abuse, then once again, um, you have someone that may be operating like one of those, like, I don't understand why they did that. Until you start peeling back those layers and understanding, oh, something could have affected them in their childhood. And now I understand why they may do this action or they may act this way or their behavior. We really just need to really dive a little bit deeper down into this but making the investment for organizations like ours that's already doing the work, but being able to really effectively make an impact. Got you. Real quick, what does, for for our listeners who are new to social work, um, what is ACES? You want to talk about it? Sure. I mean, no. Well, We'll you share. share. We'll share. So ACES (laughs) stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's a scale. So it's a number, zero to 10. 10. I'm like nine, 10. And the higher you score, the your health outcomes will be lower, your social outcomes, income, your entire life is affected by your ACEs score. And, you know, we was talking about poverty, right? So poverty and ACEs. You're talking to me about that. The system, once again, poverty does not equal abuse. But what does happen is that you can almost equate ACEs into provished areas. So what I mean by that is if you look at an area where you're surveying the land and you're like, okay, how many people graduated high school or not high school? How many people have two or three um, know someone that has been in prison or something to that nature? As Missy mentioned, the higher your score is, the lower your health equity is. And usually those individuals tend to be in the same areas. But it does not mean that because 
because they have these high A scores and they're living in poverty, that they are abusing children. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what I really want to make clear. Just because someone is living in a provished area does not mean that they are abusing their children. Right before the podcast, we were talking that, you know, 90% of children that are abused are abused by someone they know and trust. So we no longer use trust. We say find safe adults. But also within that, if you look at some of the news stories that have come out and the kids that have accused their perpetrator, a lot of times the perpetrators are from established, what I would say established um, environments. You know, they, they're they well, they're pretty well educated. Teachers, coaches, doctors, um, Dr. Nazer, you know, who would have ever known that Dr. Nazer, you know, was a predator. But, you know, it was because of his position, his accolades, you know, that it, it kind of was under the rug and no one really was looking at him as being a predator because of his status. And we really just got to get past that, that regardless if you are a a doctor or a teacher or whatever, those individuals still can be predators. And that's why our first priority is to educate children first and then the adults. One of the things that we've talked about is trauma and the outcome trauma can have. And I want to talk a little bit about the trauma of removal. Sometimes it's the right answer and sometimes it's not. One of the things that we talk about a lot in this space on this podcast is equity. So can we speak to outcomes when it comes to substantiated abuse and placement in foster care? What does that look like in the Louisville area? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that because that's not all my wheelhouse. But one of the things that we have really been talking about in some of our spaces is, once again, and I'll keep saying this, poverty does not equal abuse. Mm -hmm. But if you make a, let's say a neighbor makes a good faith call because they suspect something is happening with that child, that child's safety is being compromised and they make that call. You have to think about each of us, all of us, we have our own biases, right? We do. But when you are in a position as a social worker Mm -hmm. and you go into an environment that is unfamiliar to you, you may be quicker to remove someone, a kid out of that home based off your own individual biases. Mm -hmm. And it may not even be something that you're doing intentionally. A lot of times it's it's very unintentional. Like you, you just, you thinking, well, this is not how I was raised or, you know, this is not how I saw it. So we need to remove our kids. What I was sharing with Missy is what I thought um, to be very ironic is that um, when I get numbers of how many calls have been made into CPS and how many substantiated cases, which means that there was enough evidence to to launch an investigation. The higher percentage tends to be Caucasian children. But then if you look down the avenue and you start looking at the foster care numbers, the higher percentage of kids in foster care are African-American. And I was sitting in a a meeting one day and I was like, I I don't understand this. Like, Mm -hmm. how can this be? Mm -hmm. And so what it really led me to believe is that we still have a lot of hidden biases that we may be quicker to remove kids of color from homes than non-white kids. I mean, than white kids. 
And once again, that is just a perpetuated cycle that we keep being in, opposed to maybe understanding cultural, comes back into cultural differences. You know, African-American families, and I'm not saying all of us operate the same way, but maybe that family or maybe that culture disciplines in a, a different type of way than what we find to be comfortable. And so we'll remove that kid because it's not something that we know. And then what will happen once again is that kid will end up in foster care. And we also know that kids of color, it's just going to take twice as long for them to get adopted than a kid, than a, a Caucasian kid. So now we have these kids that are in the system, opposed to going back to what Messi said, really trying to help the parents and giving them a model and walking with them and really educating them on how to be, you know, the best parent that they can be as far as providing, once again, all the necessities for that child to be successful, healthy, and safe. So what would you say, Sonia, would be a step that anyone could take? So right now we've been talking a lot about social workers and teachers and professionals, but what if you're just someone who wants to make a difference and you want to protect children? Yeah, thank you. And and, And let me say to the listeners, I love teachers. I love social workers. You all do a hard job. It's a really hard job to do. I know that a lot of times you do it because of your heart and not the money that comes behind it. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say, you know, um, we I, we love, you know, our educators and all those individuals. What I was really trying to say in those references is don't have a picture of what a perpetrator looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really bad thing to do. Sure. But if you're just an individual and you care about kids, you know, I love kids and I care about them. And I just want to make sure that they're safe and they're healthy. A couple of things that you can do, first off, is, you know, reach out to an organization. Um, Do some research. Um, And what I mean by research is really researching that organization. Um, Pulling up their 990 to see what type of work they've done, to see what type of impact that they've made in the community. And then reaching out to them and volunteering, if that Mm -hmm. is an organization of your choice. As a nonprofit, we will never turn away a gift, you know, for an organization. If you believe in our mission, and we're showing you the work. You know, we just... Uh, actually at Echo, we just developed a new program called Pass the Pinwheel uh, Movement. And it's where individuals can make recurring um, gifts to our organization. And it can be as little as $5. Um, $5 over, you know, weeks and months, that really adds up. So, you know, making contributions. And then the other way is, you know, once again, sharing the information that you learn with others. Getting into or um, having someone to come out, a professional that can talk to you and do a training with you or get online. Like we live in this digital world, like everything is accessible. So, you know, get online and educate yourself to learn more about what you can do as an individual. And if nothing else, you know, speak up and speak out and be an advocate for our children. Remember, these children turn out to be adults. Mm -hmm. So if we don't speak up for them now, then it's really going to be hard to speak at them later. Yes. And I think that that, I love that that thread, very unprompted, has run through almost every episode that we've we've recorded the answer is telling the stories and speaking up i love that sonia you've been amazing Thank is there you. anything else that you want to share with everyone or how they can find you and your organization absolutely uh, we like i said we are located in um, louisville kentucky but you can find us echo-ky.org you can look us up on our facebook page you know the thing that 
I really loved about Miguel opening up this conversation because we were laughing. We keep that type of culture in our organization, the laughter, the humor, because we we deal with such trauma and, and so many stories of kids that are abused that, you know, you can start internalizing that yourself. And so you need an outlet. This is very sensitive information to talk about. But just because we're not talking about it does not mean that it's not happening. Yes. So, you know, reach out to us, reach out to Missy, reach out to Miguel. And just, you know, if you want to do something, um, there will be an avenue for you to be able to 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 find that seat. Um, so just don't sit back and think that somebody else is going to do it. Have that courage, the same courage that we talk about with our kids. Have that courage to stand up, speak up, and be an advocate. Always. Thank you so much. Let's get it. Let's go. This is Common Conversations. You just finished listening to, what's your name again? Sonia with a J. Sonia with a J. <laughs> Dropping knowledge, talking about child abuse prevention. Um, Folks, it is near and dear because I grew up in an abusive household, an abusive community, and an abusive country. Um, And so if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we got to take care of our kids, right? So raising healthy children allows, hopefully, um, for us to have healthy adults. And then when we talk about the systems that we exist in, if we can eradicate that which would harm us, we can all live in nirvana, right? We can find this peaceful place. So thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. We love you. You can check out the podcast everywhere you get a podcast. And, you know, we'll see you soon in a couple of panel discussions if you're local and on a live stream. Peace, love, and hair grease. Bye, friends. Bye.